Welcome back to the Action for Happiness podcast series. And for this winter special edition, we're back on the road for our second carpool podcast with the truly inspirational John Kabat-Zinn. To learn more about John, check out his two earlier podcasts we carried out together, as his story is remarkable and his contribution to the growth of mindfulness through his research and his stress reduction programs is on a global level. He is often called the father of modern day mindfulness and has become a dear friend of ours. I'm your host, Ski, and my good friend Will will be co-hosting today. Mindfulness is not a concept. It's a way of being, and it's a way of being in relationship to yourself. So in a way, it's a love affair. It's a radical act of sanity and love to actually be fully present in the only moment any of us ever get. Fear is just a natural part of being human, and again, it can be paralyzing or it can be uh, actually an ally in developing a greater intimacy with experience yeah. and the range of human experience. Journalists often ask me, well, tell me in one word, what is mindfulness? Because everybody's <laughs> talking about it. Just give me one word for God's sake. And so I try to take that seriously and I say, well, I can say it two different ways. One is that it's awareness. Mindfulness is awareness. You already have slight engine noise in the background, as to be expected in a carpool recording. The video starts quite dark, but as the journey to Heathrow goes on, we see London wake up to a lovely sunrise. Action for Happiness is a movement of people committed to building a happier and more caring society. Visit the website actionforhappiness.org forward slash podcast for more episodes and to access the latest videos. About seven or eight questions that were put up on the Facebook page. Okay. In anticipation. And, um, oh yeah, you said that uh, so this would maybe, be a great way to for me to respond to. Yeah. So Will's going to read them out, then you can just like freestyle. Okay. That'd be and, great. And there's ten questions, and so maybe like you take you know one or two minutes per question. Yeah, not, yeah. Okay, cool. So we've got Nicholas, and he said we we'll, we'll read out the full name. Yeah. Okay. Nicholas Outram. Um, he wants to know. Um, how can he deal with mindfulness or improve his ability to meditate? He finds himself um, it being difficult and if it can be applicable to people in the high uh, spectrum for altruism, um, uh, being autistic. Oh, well that's a wonderful question and thank you Nicholas for it. Um, let me Let me start by saying that Mindfulness is just difficult for all human beings. The, the, the only reason it's really worth doing is because it is actually so fundamental to our, uh, the quality of our life that it turns out that it's non-trivial and actually quite difficult to cultivate uh, the discipline of regular practice, regular formal practice, uh, especially when you're starting out and maybe for the first 20 or 30 years. Uh, and so you have to have a long-term perspective, like to intend from the beginning and your intentions are very important. So if you intend to actually find your own way to drop in on yourself and inhabit your experience in the present moment, that's what the meditation practice really is. And whether it's sitting on the cushion or sitting on a chair or doing lying down meditation in bed, there are really a whole lot of different uh, sort of formal ways that you can enter into it. And then if you uh, find yourself or put yourself in a particular category, whether it's sort of somewhere on the, the 
autism spectrum or anything else, uh, to actually just put out the welcome mat for how it is for you and accept that you can simply, your awareness can simply hold whatever it is that's arising moment by moment by moment and realize that that is the curriculum, whatever is arising. And your assignment, if you will, like Mission Impossible, if you choose to accept it, uh, is to simply rest in awareness of what's arising in experience. Whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, or whether it's neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And notice how much your thinking mind is going to judge yourself, usually harshly, about not being up to the task, not being adequate. This can't possibly be what I'm supposed to be feeling. If only I were different, then I'd be a great meditator. But I can't be really do this. It's so hard and it's so boring. And on and on and on. And please know, everybody has those kinds of experiences. Everybody. And it's, it's not a problem. The challenge is how will you be in relationship to your experience as it is. So good luck with that because um, there's absolutely no reason uh, that I know of that, uh, that you can't uh, you know, derive tremendous benefit from befriending yourself in that kind of a way, moment by moment by moment. And it really is a true befriending if you're authentically willing to just put out the welcome mat and not judge what's going on or to notice how much you're judging what's going on and then not judge that you're judging it. So you can't weasel out of that one. There's no way to fail at this if you're kind with yourself. Um, Nicole Abbott, um, she's been teaching mind-body medicine courses to students now for the last decade and she's experiencing that a lot of the students are cynical, um, not cynic, uh, skeptical, excuse me, but cynical about mindfulness. They have often been introduced to mindfulness via the app, uh, in school, friends, online, heard about the hype, found it doesn't work for them and lost interest, but fortunately come back to uh, try my topic at university. The amount um, of cynicism and negativity to the concept of mindfulness was quite startling this year and came independently from about 20 to 25 percent of the student cohort. Um, on the one hand, it seems great that we have access to the free material, free online um, mindfulness courses, etc., but do we need experienced mentorship, scaffold programs, teachers uh, that are experienced in the practice themselves? Uh, one of my friends has a, has a great model from for excuse me fads. He says that it uh, from, from fashion. I mean, a great model from fads. For, just for fads. Oh. And he says that um you know it goes from fizzle to flop, and she's concerned that um, is mindfulness in the fizzle stage. She um, she would like to hope that the purity of the concept uh, stays alive and well, but is wondering if this is possible. Wow, what a phenomenal question and how beautifully articulated. She's uh, very vocal on the, um, on the uh, Facebook uh, Really? Yeah. Well, hello to you. Tell me, what's her name again? Uh, Nicole. Nicole. Well, hello to you, Nicole, and thanks for being vocal and thanks for being so articulate in, uh, in expressing those kinds of concerns. I share them deeply and I did not know because I you know I don't come in contact that much with people in that age group so cynicism is already setting in about mindfulness been there done that it's so yesterday it's so boring maybe or just not useful uh, and you're right what you need are really authentic and embodied mindfulness teachers I think if your first exposure to it is an app uh, that might have a shadow side or a downside to it. 
uh, because no matter how good the voicing, no matter how present the person is in the voice, it's still disembodied uh, in an app. And mindfulness is all about relationality, how you are in relationship to your own inner and outer experience. And so there's no substitute for having sort of human contact. I know in many schools, I mean, I met with people at Stanford, they have a mindfulness club and the students just support themselves by getting together, not online, but together in a room and practicing together and then talking about their practice. If you have one friend, one Dharma friend who practices and who understands what they're doing or has a strong motivation to keep it up and to read good books on mindfulness and Dharma, you know, that can be a huge, uh, bulkward against all of this cynicism and uh, just um, rejection of something that really is not a concept in the first place. You use the word concept, but mindfulness is not a concept. It's a way of being, and it's a way of being in relationship to yourself. So in a way, it's a love affair. It's a radical act of sanity and love to actually be fully present in the only moment any of us ever get. So uh, it's very hard to be cynical about something like that when what the real invitation is to be real. So of course, a lot of people on the internet are not real and uh, don't even use their, you know, their own names or you, know, can, you can be a dog on the internet as they say. So I think that these are kind of very real but not fatal or lethal challenges to cultivating a mindfulness practice and I would just wish you all the best in trying to in some sense counteract that not by becoming uh, sort of uh, uh, argumentative or obstructive uh, with people who don't see things the same way you do but rather that um, you find your own way to be in wise relationship with the practice and live it and your embodied presence is going to have effect on other people because cynicism dissolves in the face of kindness and in the face of uh, embodied wakefulness. It just kind of dissolves because cynicism is its own form of suffering. It's a kind of thought pattern that denies a potential, particular kind of potential value that can... Um, lead to greater well-being and satisfaction and profundity in the nature of your relationships with yourself and with other people. And if you care at all about being happy in your life, um, the cynical attitude, of course, that's very different from uh, skepticism. Skepticism, I, I hope people are being skeptical, skeptical about mindfulness. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Open-minded skepticism is very, very powerful, but closed-minded skepticism, you know, it's closed-minded, so it, it says it all, and closed-hearted as well. So we've got Lisa Gritin, and she says, not sure if this is a question for John, but um, she's wondering, she's finding difficulty in that she's becoming mentally prepared for the challenges at hand. Um, and she practices med mindfulness meditation on a regular basis, but she still finds um, excessive levels of fear uh, in coming up to new challenges. And she's wondering, even with being prepared, is there a way to reduce the amount of fear she's experiencing? 
taking on new challenges? Uh, again, thank you for this question. It's, it's, it's totally wonderful. Fear is just a natural part of being human. And again, it can be paralyzing or it can be uh, actually an ally in developing a greater intimacy with experience yeah. and the range of human experience. So the fear itself is not a problem. It's whether you're willing to actually, again, as I was saying, put the welcome mat out for fear because guess what? It arose. So that then presents itself as part of the curriculum of the moment and see and you can ask yourself, is my awareness of my fear, if you hold it in awareness, is the awareness of uh, the fear afraid? And you may find that it is not afraid, that your awareness is kind of so much bigger than your fear, and it doesn't self-identify with the fear because there's no self to identify with. And then it becomes like a, a weather pattern in the mind, and it may be a recurrent weather pattern in the mind a lot of us fall into like you know sort of just endless anxiety for one reason or another often it's because of experiences in childhood or whatever but I can tell you that I know thousands of people who have panic disorder and anxiety disorder and so forth you know in studies who come to the Center for Mindfulness and wind up um, liberating themselves from a lot of their chronic uh, fear so so there's every reason to kind of uh, be optimistic and to not make fear itself uh, a frightening experience but to instead investigate it as if it was just another impersonal phenomenon that was in some some sense we were entrained into the habit of being afraid because we suspect that it will uh, in some sense mm, undermine our humanity but fear is a intrinsic part of being human and rather than undermine our humanity we could we could think of it as an opportunity to actually profoundly develop our humanity and in fact I'll just say the meditation practice in Sanskrit, the word is bhavana, which means development or cultivation. So mindfulness can be thought of as the cultivation of your own interior capacities that are intrinsic, but need a certain kind of development and cultivation and even protection, the way we protect the fields and the plants in the fields until they're hardy enough and large enough to grow on their own. Yeah, um, the United States never made it into the World Cup, but this is an official England kit. That you oh, can... fantastic. So England play their first game tonight of the World Cup. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I mean, so um, you haven't got, you can, you know, every time England play, perhaps you can wear it and uh, show your support. I, I will do that. I hear England needs all the support it can yeah. get. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> You can put it back in there. Thank you. Okay, it's lovely. No worries. Much appreciated. Just don't forget. I had it with me last time. I wanted you to try oh, it. Oh, no kidding. Me, okay, well, what's one What's one year among friends? Yeah, well, I said, no, I mean, when I picked oh, up... Oh, well, you day, mean just yeah. a couple of days well, ago. I, I made a joke with my wife, and I'm being so present, I forgot the present. Right. So. Well, that that's, that's priceless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in and of itself, that's yes. priceless. Mr. Mindful, you know, um, 
Mr. Mindfulness, it's so easy to actually be mindless. And in fact, uh, everybody listening should know that the first thing that you discover when you start to cultivate mindfulness, of course, is how mindless we are. Mm -hmm. How much uh, our mind just has a life of its own and it goes here and it goes there and it is like, we'll just do whatever it wants. Doesn't matter what you think, whoever you are, mm -hmm. however you fit into that whole picture. And that's, of course, data. That's really important to know that everybody's mind's like that. It's like the Atlantic Ocean, it's in the nature of the Atlantic Ocean or the uh, English Channel to yeah. wave, depending on the atmospheric conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's the same for the mind. It waves under different kinds of stormy conditions. But, there are, but if you drop down, even in the midst of a storm, 20 or 30 meters, mm -hmm. it's total calm. And that's true for human beings, too, that even in the face of, you know, what I'd call the full catastrophe of the human condition, mm. under the worst of conditions, it is possible to actually drop in in a way that you're not denying your fear or your tension or your anger or whatever it is, but you can hold it in a way that gives you a whole other dimension of intelligence to bring to bear at that moment where, you know, I mean, people wind up in prison because they lose their minds in one second, pull the trigger, and then the rest of their life had to do with that one moment where they saw red or whatever, you know, yeah. lost their mind. So, uh, again, this is not about creating some kind of idiotic ideal about what a meditative human being should look like. Mm. We're not talking about anything like that this is what it means to be fully human mm -hmm. how do we recover the full capacity for that and one element of it is so if you discover that when you start to practice mindfulness that mostly you're mindless what that says is that you're beginning to have first person direct intimate experience with what's called the default mode network mm -hmm which means that every time we are told to do nothing, we default to thinking and generating narratives about our favorite subject, which is me, of course, myself. And, uh, and then we get into judging how good I am, how not good I am, and so forth. And what mindfulness is doing, I think, although a lot more neuroscience will need to be developed, is it's actually retraining and restructuring the brain or functional connect, driving functional connectivity to actually have mindfulness be the default mode, yeah. that we drop in to being awake and to not knowing what's going on and knowing that we don't know, well, that's awareness and meta-awareness. That's the name we gave ourselves as a species, Homo sapiens sapiens, the species. It's not cognition and metacognition. It's the species that knows and knows that it knows, but it's that kind of non-conceptual or more than conceptual knowing mm -hmm. that is intrinsic to our humanity, but for all sorts of evolutionary reasons, we haven't developed as much as we need to. Mm -hmm. You're listening to the Action for Happiness podcast. On this carpool episode, we speak with the father of modern mindfulness, the incredible John Kabat-Zinn. Okay, so in thinking about mindfulness going forward into the future, and as it's expanding um, within, say, business, what is what's needed to keep the integrity of the practice of the process as as it evolves? People with integrity—that's mm. what's mm. needed. People who actually practice. So this is the thing: is that mindfulness is not a good idea. It's not a philosophy. It's not a catechism, and it's not a new fad. It's very, very old. It's even older than Buddhism. But the Buddha managed to give the most 
elaborate and profound articulation of the power of mindfulness. And very often, mindfulness is spoken of as the heart of Buddhist meditation. So uh, the most important thing is to actually practice and to be in touch with really good embodied teachers from whom you can sort of drink in, so to speak, the entire felt sense and embodied sense of a human being who cares enough about the present moment to not be completely adrift in the future and the past. And, and you know it immediately when you, when you encounter somebody like that, and you feel good intuitively when you encounter somebody like that. And I'll tell you, there are plenty of those people around. You know what they're called? They're called children. <laughs> and then we somehow squeeze it out of them or drive them into uh, mind states like anxiety about the future and not being good enough and all of those kinds of things that are really just highly conditioned, programmed um, sort of ways of uh, being more unconscious and not being in touch with the full dimensionality of your humanity. And that's what meditation does. It's exercising a muscle to bring you back in this moment uh, with this breath. And it's not about having some kind of major insight or some special enlightenment experience that will make it so valuable that you'll invest all this time and energy. The enlightenment's right in this moment. The enlightenment, maybe if you stop thinking of enlightenment as enlightened people or some kind of special state that you will get, or even mindfulness as a special state, and begin to realize there are maybe more skillful to think of enlightening moments. And everybody can have an enlightening moment when you, we just get out of our own way yeah. and drop into awareness. That's it, okay? It's through a first approximation. You don't need to build a big story around it or any story at all. Just live inside your awareness, and that will actually transform and heal everything all by itself. And then life becomes an ongoing adventure in learning and growing and healing and transformation, and then acting in the world with integrity on the basis of an ethical foundation, uh, you know, to first do no harm. Uh, we should have a Hippocratic Oath for education, not just for medicine. And it should be embodied in medicine, as it often isn't in the institutions. And do lots of harm. So, so this is kind of um, uh, the major challenge for us. There's no substitute for practicing yourself and taking responsibility for actually learning what you know you don't know by finding other people with kind of common interests and practicing with them, finding teachers that feel like, uh, for you, they feel authentic and they're communicating or they're embodying something and just hanging out with them and reading their books and listening to their podcasts and guided meditations. And there's more stuff out there now on the web than there ever has been ever on this planet. Mm -hmm. So there's no excuse. It's not like, oh, I'd have to, you know, go to India on <laughs> yeah. foot on a donkey you know, or something like that, yeah. and then you know, live in a cave and have cold water dripping on my head and meditate. I mean, no, this is this has never been more accessible. You don't have to leave your house, and you've got, like, infinite stuff available to you, but it requires, uh, you know, the, the friendship element and feeling you're, like you're part of a community and you're not isolated, that there are other people that care about. is a very important part of it. Beautiful. 
Thanks, John. You're welcome. So when, when are you next back in town? I don't know. As I said, I flew to uh, Salzburg to lead a retreat there, which yeah. was just fantastic. And next year, I'll go back to Salzburg. I don't know whether I'll stop off in England again. You know, this is... Uh, but it's becoming something of a habit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, I love it. And, and doing this podcast with you and yeah. just seeing you and on and na- mm-hmm. now you will. I mean, it's... I, I think this is just very cool. And I also want to say how much I appreciate your you know, sort of, I don't know what the right verb is, but uh, shepherding my uh, Facebook group, uh, you know, or holding it and tending it, uh, because I can't really respond to the questions on a regular basis. But now that I've heard these questions, they're phenomenal. So let me just say one more thing to all the people that are asking questions on my Facebook group or page or whatever Mm -hmm. you're on, is that... When all is said and done, rather than asking me or any other quote-unquote expert Mm -hmm. the answer to your questions, try asking yourself the question and listening deeply for your own response. Mm -hmm. And you're going to find that you're sitting on top of your own genius, your own luminosity of being and a lot of the answers to your questions are going to come to you but they may not come to you as cognitions or as thoughts or as information they'll come to you as a feeling Mm. a feeling tone for what is wise action what is a wise livelihood what is a wise way to live in this world and then trust that because that's coming out of something that's coming out of your DNA out of your deepest humanity yeah and if it's causing, if it's cause, if it's in the direction of well-being and kindness, and compassion, you know you're in the going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And if it's causing harm, and you can be mindful enough to know that you're actually creating casualties, whether it's yourself or other people, by your actions or your even your thoughts and your speech, then uh, examine that and right? maybe write yourself a restraining order. Uh, that's not a wise direction to go in mm. and go in the other direction. Yeah. And then life will become your meditation teacher. That's the real, again, bulkward against all this trivialization and commodification and the selling of mindfulness mm. and the hyping of mindfulness. That's, that's the real bulkward against it mm. is your own authenticity, your own life lived as if it really, 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 really mattered. Yes. And it does. Mm-hmm. And I like to say, more than you think. It, mm-hmm. it does more than you think. And it does more than you can possibly think. Yeah. Because thinking is not all that's cracked up to be. And if you're in a student or you're in education, please know that you know a, a lot of educators uh, are really beginning to reflect on that interior education, which is not merely the accumulation of information, or even knowledge and now knowledge like all world information is in some sense at our fingertips although a lot of it's probably wrong but there's no using there's no real reason to even accumulate knowledge unless it leads to understanding and what is understanding well understanding itself is to appreciate how everything is in relationship with everything else that's mindfulness Mm. and then that leads to wisdom And that wisdom leads to liberation from misguided notions about who you are. 
because the personal pronouns are referring to something far deeper than what we usually construct as a narrative about me and my life. And when you see deeply into that and write yourself in some sense a restraining order or it just evaporates on its own, then that's a, a moment of freedom. That's a moment of incredible creativity because you're no longer shackled by your own, um, you know, entrained habits of mind that just accumulate uh, because uh, our culture has really emphasized the outer and outer accomplishment at the expense of who's doing all the accomplishing. The inner. And when there's no inner anymore, no outer anymore, no self, no other, in any kind of reified way, then you're really in touch with the full dimensionality, as I put it, of being human and deep interconnectedness. So the last thing I'll say is that journalists often ask me, well, tell me in one word, what is mindfulness? Because everybody's (laughs) talking about it. Just give me one word, for God's sake. And so I try to take that seriously and I say, well, I can say it two different ways. One is that it's awareness. Mindfulness is awareness. You already have it. You don't need to acquire it. What, what, what you need to acquire is access. You need to cultivate greater access to your awareness because our default mode is just thinking and emoting all the time. Yeah. So one is awareness, or you could say, if you'll give me another word, pure awareness, two words. But the other is relationality, okay? How you are in relationship to everything. How you experience experience itself. We say, I have a body. Who's saying that? Is it the body saying it? My mouth is mouthing the words. My mouth is part of my body. My tongue is part of my mouth. The air is coming out of it. When you start to trace it back, who the hell is doing that and how? If, I, if it was up to me to actually know how to actually vocalize anything, I wouldn't be able to complete the sentence. Yeah. So that's a gift in a certain way. And it's like, well, is that part of John Kabat-Zinn or not? Yeah. Well, of course it is, and it's part of every single person on the planet. Mm-hmm. But we don't appreciate how, what miraculous beings we actually are. Yeah. So the meditation practice actually uh, allows us to see this relationality that who am I, you know, in relationship to inner experience, outer experience, social experience, intellectual experience, there's no end to it. And then in the end, it's like pure awareness, embodied, pure embodied awareness. Yeah. Have fun, guys. That's brilliant. And remember, if you'd like to help create a kinder and happier world, please get involved with Action for Happiness. You can join thousands of others who are spreading a bit more happiness in their homes, workplaces, schools and local communities. Don't forget to subscribe, like and follow to keep up to date with all our content. Find out more at actionforhappiness.org. Join the movement. Be the change.